I'm excited to be up here. Life in reverse. That's what we're talking about. We are we're working our way back through the life of Jesus from his death back to his birth, which will end on Christmas, obviously. What a significant moment that was, and we're excited to talk about that. So today, Jeff Bracken gave an awesome message last week about the crucifixion. Today I'm talking about the temptation of Christ. It's a familiar story to most of us where he was led into the wilderness first by the Holy Spirit, and then the devil met him there to tempt him as a man. So he first went to the wilderness, to the temple, and then to a high mountain. We'll talk about all of it. But if your attention spans like mine, short, I want, I want to go into it, just re- want you to remember a couple things as we flesh it out. Okay, number one, Jesus endured for you and for me. He endured. Remember that word. Keep it in your head. He endured. Okay, he did it because he knew his direction. He was focused. He knew who he was serving. He knew where he was going and he knew what he was here to do. That is how he endured. And I believe that's what he's calling us to. Man, it's just fun to be able to get up here and talk about the life of Jesus, right? It's such a simple, you know, we get to get up here and talk about Jesus' life and what we can learn from it. It's simple. It's fun. Let's get into it together. All right, let's pray. God, we just invite you into this place. Holy Spirit, come in. Not any words that I say, but your words. Open our ears. Open our hearts. Challenge and change us today. And show us what you're calling, calling us to. Show us what we can learn. Teach us how to endure so that we can finish the race. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I was going to read through the whole thing and then come back to it, but let's just jump right into it, okay? So let's go to Matthew chapter 4. And so Aaron, you can just skip to the specific slide. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Let's start with the first one. The temptation of Jesus. So Jesus, it says, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Let's talk about this word wilderness for a second. The Greek word for it is erimos. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean the wilderness like we think of it. It just means there's a lack of population there. There's no claim to this land, okay? So it's basically land that was designated for shepherds, just for people to use. So he was just away from everything, okay? Sometimes we have to get away from everything to really hear what's going on, don't we? So he was just away from everything, in the wilderness. He was led there by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. So the Holy Spirit led Jesus to and God allowed him to be tempted so that he could experience it, endure it, and so God could get the glory. So during that time, verse 3, the devil came and said to him, if you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. All right, so let's talk first about the human factor. Okay, Jesus was a man, right? He was in every sense human, and he had not eaten for 40 days. That's a long time. I have never done that. I don't know if anyone in here has ever done that, but that is a different kind of hunger, okay? I have never been hungry like that. My wife and I have watched every season of Survivor, which is embarrassing. It's okay. 
but we've watched it for years, okay? So these people have very little food. Now, they're not completely without food, but they're kind of in a wilderness setting, and it's on TV, so it must be true. I'm sure it's exactly as it seems, right? But anyway, so they're out there for 39 days if they make it all the way to the end. And I mean, by the 20th day, if they even mention food, these people lose their minds. They're like, okay, if you win this challenge, you get to have peanut butter and crackers. And they're like, peanut butter and crackers. And they're like shaking each other. Can't you believe it? Okay, so this is really hungry. Okay, really hungry. You've never been this hungry, probably. Okay, so this is where Jesus is. That's the human factor here. Let's not forget, he was a man and he was really, really hungry. Now, this brought to mind, somebody, somebody else in the Bible really blew it on this. Anybody know who it is? Esau. The story of Jacob and Esau, okay? Jacob was the deceiver in the family. Esau was out in the field working. He comes in and he's so hungry that he gives up his entire birthright for a bowl of soup. He blew it, man. He, but he'd only not eaten that day. Okay, so that just shows you that, and we're more like Esau than Jesus, right? By nature. You know, if it's right in front of us, we'll take it, right? So that brought that to mind that Esau was set, he was facing this exact same, not nearly as severe as what Jesus did, and he just immediately jumps and gives up everything for a bowl of soup. I, I think I identify more with him than I do with Jesus. Okay, so let's look at the scripture Jesus quotes. It's from Deuteronomy. Every scripture Jesus quotes during this passage is from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is one of the, obviously one of the first books in the Old Testament, but the thing you need to remember about Deuteronomy is God is defining who his people are in Deuteronomy. He's telling them who they are, okay? And so the first scripture he quotes is Deuteronomy 8.3. It said, yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry. He humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you, and then here's what Jesus quoted. That people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we'll get to each one of these, but I believe Jesus quotes Deuteronomy here because that is where God defined his people and he's trying to help us define who we are. Okay? Now, the first attribute that I draw from this is humility. God's people are defined by humility. That is countercultural, right? We are not a culture that likes to be defined by humility. God's people are defined by humility. Isn't this true of us too? If we, often we have to be humbled. Nobody likes to be humbled. But often we have to find ourselves in a position of great need before we can be taught. If we're not in a position of great need, we feel like we know everything. Or at least I do. I don't, I don't know about y'all. But when things are really comfortable, you feel like you know everything. You got it all together. But if you're in a position of great need, that's the moment where we can be taught how to be dependent on Him. Now, this first temptation, I kind of like, you know, I, I, like to, I like to think about it just how it actually happened. Don't you just get the feeling that Jesus, you know, He had such a focus that He got offered bread and He just kind of shrugged it off. Like bread... Like, come on, man. I know what I'm here to do. And I just get this, like, I can just hear him saying it almost like, I know what I'm here to do. 
Can you hear him saying that? I mean, this is real. You know, he's out in the wilderness starving to death. But bread, like you think I'm going to give it up for bread? Come on. So he quotes the scripture, but again, I think he's, I think it reflects how God defines his people. All right, let's move on to the next one. Start with verse, with verse five. Then the devil took him to the holy city. Let's stop right there for a second. I think the only way to read this, I did a little bit of research on this. There's, there's differences of opinion, but I think the only way to read this logically is that they actually went physically to these locations. Okay. And I think there is a way to read it where they, you know, they kind of went there in a spiritual sense. But I think as I read it, the temptations are only real if they actually went there physically. Now, how they got there, I have no idea. And I don't, I don't get to know that. That's okay. But I think they actually went to the top of the temple. And then you'll see in the next one, they actually went to the highest point so that they could see all of the kingdoms of the earth. So back to verse 5. The devil said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Again, he's quoting Deuteronomy here. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. It says, you must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. I talk about the Israelites a lot when I'm up here. It seems like, well, man, they were a bunch of whiners. And so are we. Right? Think about everything God did for them. And then the first chance they got, Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. This is hard. Oh, we're hungry. Hit somebody. We need some water. They didn't, it was a lack of trust, right? What is Jesus getting at here? This is a trust issue. Don't test the Lord. The Israelites tested God by complaining because they didn't trust him to provide for them. I can learn a lot from that. Our circumstances are never ideal, are they? The question is, what are we going to do with them? But if we're complaining, it's testing him in a way that shows a lack of trust in him, right? So rather than test God by complaining about our circumstances or following what we want to do, Jesus shows us how you can trust in this situation. I think that's why he's quoting Deuteronomy here. Again, he never forgot his purpose. And I think he dismisses this. This is just my interpretation of it. I think he dismisses this temptation because it had no purpose. Did it? Hey, just jump off the temple. That has no purpose other than to test God. And again, I kind of see him just shrugging this one off. Don't you? Like, why am I going to jump off the temple? I don't need to do that. I know who I am. I know what I'm here to do. There's no purpose to this but a test. And let's look back at God's Word and see what it says about testing Him. I'm not going to test Him because I already already trust him. Strike two for Satan. But now we come to the third one. This is the big one. This is the climax of the story, right? Now they go to the mountain. Next, the devil took Jesus. Start with verse 8. 
The devil took Jesus to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Now this is not an ambiguous temptation. This is not about a test. This is not about hunger. This is about the enemy trying to thwart God's plan. Everything that Jesus came to do is on the line right here. Everything. So how did he respond? Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the Scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Again, he quotes Deuteronomy here, 6.13. says, you must fear the Lord your God and serve Him. When you take an oath, you must use only His name. Later in Matthew... I think Jesus describes this a different way. Matthew 6.24 No one can serve two masters. Isn't that what the enemy's tempting Jesus to do here? It's not just about one. Kneel to me and you can have all of this. You will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. It's the same, it's a different articulation of the same principle. There is only one. Get out of here. Do not tempt me to serve another. Very similar to what we say in our house. You can't root for Louisville and Kentucky. You either love one and hate the other. Amen. Right, kids? Where are you? No, but this is, this is the critical moment in the story, okay? No one can serve two masters. Jesus said, get behind me. You must worship the Lord, Lord your God and serve Him alone. There is no doing it halfway. Jesus emphatically declared this and Satan left. He gave up. There was no winning for him today. Now, what does this teach us? This is where I want to focus for a while. I think it teaches us this. Obedience. Jesus knew what He was here to do. Obedience never skips the costs. But with the end in mind, endures them. I'll say that again. Obedience never skips the costs. But with the end in mind, endures them. Now there's always going to be costs. Whether you obey, there's going to be costs. Or who's experienced the costs of disobedience? There will be costs either way. The question is, are we willing to pay the costs of sacrificial obedience to get where God is trying to get us to go? Now think about it in this context. The enemy was offering Jesus everything. You can have all of this. And Jesus could have skipped the cost. Well, what's the cost in this part of the story? It's Calvary. It's the cross. He could have skipped the cross and gotten the reward. But where does that leave us? In a whole bunch of trouble. That's where it leaves us. He could have skipped the cost of the cross and gotten the reward. But that he was focused on what he came here to do. What does that mean for us? What is following Jesus costing me? What is it really costing me? What's it costing you? 
is it costing us anything? And if it's not, are we following him with everything? I think we have to ask that. What's it costing us? And if we're skipping the cost to get the reward, that doesn't just affect us. Who loses? If Jesus skipped the cost, we lose. There's no cross. There's no reunification with God. There's no reconciliation. There's no forgiveness. There's none of that. Well, who loses if we skip the cost? Yeah, we might finish our own race. But what about that neighbor that's never heard the story of Christ? What about that unreached people group that we're not willing to pay the cost to go to or to send somebody to? They lose. There's always a cost. Are we just living and helping when it's convenient? Or are we paying the cost like Jesus did? I like how Hebrews 12 puts it. Therefore, starting with verse 1, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now, He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility He endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. I love that last, that last sentence. Paul's basically saying, well, you're not dead yet. It ain't that bad. Think about what he went through for you. But the question is how, right? Everybody has that sin we struggle with, right? What is that thing? Think about it right now. What is the sin that especially and easily trips you up? How do we endure it? Overcome it? Well, it's right here. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We do this by focus, by being focused like He was focused. So focus is the key. I've got a couple of good examples of this. I'm not a very focused person. Anybody who knows me, I'm kind of all over the place a little bit. Okay, How many golfers we got in here? A few. I'm not a golfer. How many dove hunters we have in here? This applies to either thing, right? If you hit your golf ball way wherever, or if you shoot a dove and it falls in a field, how can you find it? The only way you can find it is to keep your eyes on where it fell. Right? If you, t I mean, if I'm out in the dove field and I hit one, which is rare, but if it falls in the field, if I don't look exactly where it fell and walk straight to it without moving my eyes at all, I will never find it. And I'm walking around in the field. I know the dove's in there, but I took my eyes out. Even if it's just a, a look away, I can't find it. Same's true with a golf ball. Let's put those pictures up. I got to take Ruby to New York City a few weeks ago for a little daddy-daughter trip. It was awesome. But I think this picture illustrates the point of focus purpose, uh, perfectly. 
If you look right here, at the very top of the picture, you'll see the tallest building there. That's One World Trade Center. It's the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere. 1,776 feet. 107 stories. You guys see it on the end there? Now, everything that's below it in the picture is Manhattan. Okay? From Midtown to some of the other little villages that are between you and One World Trade. Now, do you think for a second, if you started at the bottom of this picture and just tried to walk towards One World Trade without keeping your eyes on it, that you would ever find it? Never, ever would you find it. For a bunch of reasons. There is so much commotion. There's so much noise in that journey. And even though it's the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere, when you're down in Midtown, you can't see it. Unless you find that perfect little path where you look down and then you see it. There's this corridor of buildings and if you find the right path, you'll see it again. And then you will redirect yourself, right? Like, I'm just aiming for that. Let's show that next picture. When you get to the base of it, that's what it looks like. That is unreal, isn't it? You can't even fathom. The first picture was taken from the Empire State Building Observatory. You can't even fathom that building when you're up there. But man, when you get to the base of it, it's bigger and more incredible than anything you could imagine. That's like what our re eternal reward is. Don't you think you know what it's like if you finish the race? We don't know. But man, it's better than anything we can imagine. But we're never going to get there if we don't stay focused. And guess what? We're surrounded by a world. All they want to do is distract us. Right? Go this direction. Go after this. Go after this. Go after this. There's a lot of noise around us, right? I have a terrible internal compass. Anybody who knows me will tell you that. I can get lost anywhere. And so I've got my daughter in New York, and I'm trying to find this place. I'm looking for that thing every chance I get. Like, where is it? Where is it? And I find it, and then I just feel that, oh, there it is. We're going to get there. If we're trying to get from here to eternity with Jesus and we take our eyes off Him and only look at what's right in front of us, we'll get lost. We'll get disoriented, confused. And we might reach the goal, but it will be a terrible path. But if we block out that noise that's all around us, and if we keep our eyes on Him, He'll walk with us. He'll help redirect us and say, hey, hey, look at me. Don't look at this thing that people are telling you to do. And, you know, there might be a lot of noise. We might hear people saying, what are you doing? What are you looking at? What in the world? What is going on with that decision? But you know what? It's easy to answer when your eyes are up here and you're focused on him. He'll direct that path and we will reach the end. And it'll be better than anything we could imagine. And guess what? We'll bring people with us and say, hey, look at that. Don't look at this. Don't look at this. Don't take those shackles off that the world's trying to put on you. Look at this. Just walk straight to that. And we're all going to get off track, aren't we? I'm sure 
New Yorkers see me walking around with my phone like this. They're like, look at that dude. What is he doing? It's okay. It's not a perfect path. But just remember what you're looking for. Remember, like Jesus did, who you are in Christ, what you're here to do, and where you're going. That was a mile and a half walk Ruby and I did, but I knew where I was going. Like we're going to, I know it's there and we're going to get there even if I have to redirect a few times. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, I think drives home this focus point. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward, or I like to think of it as looking up. Forgetting the past and looking up to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. We've got to stay focused on Him. It's the only way we get there. Now it's a guarantee that there's going to be temptation. We're surrounded by it. The question is, the answer to temptation is, are we going to rely upon Jesus and endure? Remember that word, endure, just like Jesus did. When we endure, again, He will direct our path to the end. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 is a familiar scripture. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. If we trust Him, we keep our eyes up and focused on Him, He will show us the path. If Ruby had been relying upon me to path that out, we would not, we'd probably still be there. But we don't have to. Look up and let Him direct your path. All right, as we close down, what's, so what's tempting us? Let's talk about that. What tempts us in our culture? It's probably not hunger. Jumping off? I mean, I don't know. Does anybody want to jump off the church? I don't think so. It's the subtle stuff, right? Some of the hardest temptations to resist or escape are the ones we don't recognize. It's the things that are that, and sometimes they're good things, right? The question is, what's the number one thing? What are you looking at? Sometimes they're good things. Sometimes they're just things that the world tells us are good. But man, they will slip under our radar and we'll be off the path. It takes spiritual discernment or wisdom. We have to pray for that. Lord, help us discern the path. Help me keep my eyes up. These are simple. I mean, Jesus called us sheep for a reason. We're dumb. It has to be simple, right? Just keep your eyes up. What are you looking at? What are you walking to? Henry Nguyen is a well-known Christian writer. He wrote a book called In the Name of Jesus that took the temptation story and derived principles from it about Christian leadership. But I think it applies to all of us. So he talks about three specific things that tempt us that I think are worth hitting as we close. Number one, the temptation to be relevant. The temptation to be relevant. We want to be practically, practically and socially applicable to everyone. 
We want our own personal thoughts and lives to matter to everybody. We want to be the focus. This manifests itself in a lot of ways in our culture, doesn't it? We're so quick to spout our opinions out. We want everybody to think what we think is relevant, that it matters. The temptation to be popular by doing something remarkable. Ooh. Ouch. I mean, popular sounds good, right? It's not necessarily bad to be popular, is it? I mean, I, I want to do something remarkable. But why do I want to do it? Do I want to do it for me? Do I want to do it for my name? Most of the time. These are things like worldly achievement. i got to get my respect, recognition, bigger and better, whatever it is that you want. The temptation to be popular and remarkable. The temptation to be powerful and to lead instead of being led. I struggle with that one too. To have a title or this or that. What's the common thread of all these? Well, number one, do you see? These can slip in under the radar, right? We get the big ones right. I'm not going to go out and murder somebody, I don't think. But man, tell me I'm good. Talk about what I've achieved. Give me a title. Oh, I like the sound of that. They slip in, but they take our focus off of Him and they put it on us. They are traps, these things. They are traps of the world. And it might not cost us or cause us not to finish the race. We might finish it. But he says strip off those things so that you can race better. So it might just make your race miserable if you're focused on the wrong things. You'll probably, you, you might still finish it. But the world and these temptations that sneak in, they can't give us real, abundant, eternal life like Jesus can. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about abundant life, right? Do, you want, do we want to just finish the race or do we want to have abundant life in Him that has humility, purpose, and sacrificial obedience? That's what I want. And it's hard, Right? but the only way we have a shot at it is to keep our eyes up on Him. I want to read a couple quotes from Henry Nguyen's book. The way of the Christian is not the way of upward mobility in which our world has invested so much, but the way of downward mobility ending on the cross. That's another sermon. I am deeply convinced that the Christian is called to be completely irrelevant and to stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her vulnerable self. That's Abraham, right? That's Isaiah. God, here I am. And that's what he wants. He doesn't want our plans or agendas. He just wants our vulnerable self to stay fixed on him. So what's it costing us to follow Him? Thank God that Jesus didn't skip the cost. Amen? He paid the cost. And He got the reward. 
but because He paid the cost, we are reconciled to God. And we have everything He promised us. What is it costing us to follow Jesus? Obedience never skips the costs, but with the end in mind, endures them. Don't take the deal that the world is offering us. Enemy offered Jesus a deal. Like, hey man, you don't have to pay the cost. Just take all this. It's a good offer. I'm an attorney. I mean, that sounds like a deal you'd consider, right? Don't take the deal. It's a lie. Obedience never comes without cost. And if you take that deal, who loses? If Jesus takes the deal, we lose. If we take that deal, if we miss, if we take our focus off Him, it doesn't just hurt us, it hurts others. It hurts the people that we're going to reach for Him because we keep our eyes up. Amen? So let's think about what's holding us back. What do we need to let God change? What sins do we need to strip off? What temptations do we have to wake up and recognize are there? Let's do this thing together. But let's pray together that we wouldn't skip the cost and that we would keep our eyes up on Him. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for enduring. Thank You for enduring and paying the cost for us so that we can be reconciled to You and have eternal life. Lord, help us to learn from Your example and how You endured temptation. Help us to recognize what the enemy and the world are throwing at us and to say no like You did. To be humble like You were. To have purpose like You did. And to be sacrificially obedient like You were. But God, we need You. It's only possible through You and because of You. Help us to focus on You. To keep our eyes up on what's above, eternal, and matters forever. And not to get distracted or pulled off the path or weighed down by what the world's trying to sell us. We just thank You, God, for what Your life can teach us, for Your death on the cross for us, for Your birth that we're going to talk about. Thank You for that. We are humbled by that. And we want everything that You have for us. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.